Another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Foley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop from the King's Herald Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. With me today is a writer for the King's Herald podcast with Tony Zipteris. Tony, how's it going today? Well, we are, I shouldn't say we, but the Sacramento Kings are once again Summer League champions, so I'm doing pretty well today, Will. That's great. And uh, he's a former Sacramento head coach, uh, GM and color analyst. He's the general manager of a WNBA champion, Indiana Basketball Hall of Famer. NBA Draft Nostradamus, which, Jerry, I know you try to back out of that, but we're going to keep that in there for a little while. And the true pride of French Lick himself, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, as always, it's a pleasure to have you here. Well, Nostradamus can be also Nostradamus, dumbass, too. I mean, so, uh, so but anyway, glad to be here and uh, celebrate that uh, Summer League uh, Championship. Absolutely. So the last time we three met, the Kings had gone 0-2 uh, in their own gym at the uh, California Classic. And then uh, Summer League has now come and gone, and it, it went pretty well for them. Uh, the Kings winning their uh, second Summer League championship. Um, Jerry, would you mind uh, starting us off by giving us some preliminary thoughts on what you thought of the Summer League uh, as a whole, and then uh, the Kings specifically? Well, I, I really enjoyed uh, watching this team play, to be truthful. I mean, the defense was outstanding. Uh, you know, we saw a really consistent effort on the defensive side of the ball. You know, I want to give Bobby Jackson a lot of credit for that. I thought, uh, you know, with Bobby's aggressive personality, I, I think, and uh, competitive spirit, uh, you know, came across. And, of course, Davian Mitchell, I think, on the court, and not only was he a terrific defender, which we knew, that's not a great surprise there, but I, I thought it carried over to teammates. I, I thought we saw, especially uh, Jameis Ramsey, who was who had a terrific summer league, and but but I thought defensively he was uh, outstanding as well. We're, we just hadn't seen any of that at any point uh, in his first year anywhere. So, uh, so a lot of good stuff. A lot of good stuff. You don't want to oversell it, but but you don't want to you know, undersell it either. I mean, they, they did, they did uh, well, they did well. They did what they were supposed to do. And that was win as many games as possible. Tony, um, what about you? Do you have anything that uh, stuck out of your mind for summer league? Yeah. I, Jerry uh, stole my thunder there a little bit, but I, I think um, there's some things that we expected to see like Davion Mitchell performing well as an older rookie, but then something that I didn't expect was Jamias Ramsey to lead the team in scoring to shoot very well from the field. I think his three-point percentage was was not great, but he made up for it with a lot of tough finishes. He looked very physical and big for a guard. He looked uh, confident. And to Jerry's point, there were moments in those games where um, I was watching the Kings sort of passively, and you'd see somebody play really good defense, and you think it's Davion Mitchell because Davion Mitchell did that a bunch of times. But since they're both sort of uh, compact guards, I was like, oh, shoot, no, that was actually Jamias who made that like really good defensive play. So I thought uh, Jamias and then also shout out to, uh, to Lewis King, who I thought was, you know, I, I don't know, arguably the second or third best player on the roster too. Um, so I thought, you know, you, you got what you expected from, from Davion Mitchell, but seeing Jamias Ramsey, who I admittedly half wrote off, just I didn't know if we'd ever see him do anything of consequence to, ha to have that sort of summer league. Um, and then Lou King, who is also fighting for his NBA career in, in these in these summer league games, to have him play well too. Um, those were two surprises that uh, I, I don't know. We'll see what they do in the NBA, but it was really encouraging to see that from two guys the Kings um, invested some developmental time in. Ramsey too. He he struggled as as you know as recently as the California Classic. Those were yeah. two games that he didn't play all that well in. You know, it, you were looking for that second season spark that you know okay you didn't get a rookie you didn't get a rookie version of this so this is his first time in summer league action and maybe he's a little nervous but when you came into the california classic after those two games it was kind of like boy they might end up you know eating some salary and just letting him and and um, bob woodard go and jamias comes out into uh to las vegas and 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 absolutely blows up um i want to first get into uh the uh, the co MVP of the summer league this year and Davion Mitchell, uh, Jerry. We saw you know just about every time the Kings had a game, uh, they played James Booknight, who's a 
uh, who's a renowned scorer in college, and he got the clamps put on him in that championship game. Peyton Pritchard, who was coming off of a couple of uh, pro-am games that he took a break from summer league to go play and scoring 60 points and 80-plus points in these pro-am games, came back for the championship game and, and got handcuffed, just got thrown down a well. Um, by by Davion Mitchell, I'm, I'm curious, Jerry, what what your opinion of uh, of Davion was, and uh, how you think this might spill over into the regular season, or how much we should uh, pump the brakes on it a little bit, and maybe just see this as a summer league thing. Well, uh, you know, it, it is a summer league thing, but I I'm not ready to pump the brakes because uh, he really can guard people. You know, I mean, I I think that'll that's one thing. Deep defense is probably uh, easier adjustment to the big leagues, uh, than offense. Uh, uh, so, uh, but as I'd said, you know, the thing that struck me months ago about him watching him and I just became intrigued was, you know, he can stay in front of you and you can't stay in front of him. And there's not many guys you can say that about, but you can say that about him and it's accurate. The guy is a, and having said that, I, I think that really, and I have no evidence to prove this, but I, my opinion is that, that he had a lot to do with Ramsey's improvement. You know, I, I've always said, when you have kind of the so-called main guy uh, is a tough buckaroo, it, it's a lot easier for everybody else to say, oh, I've got to, you know, I've got to buckle up here too. And if your kind of main guys is, are soft, don't be surprised if second, the second, third, and fourth guys are a little soft. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it just, uh, leadership is leadership. And, and I think uh, Mitchell is a leader uh, by example, as much as anything. And I, I think it showed, I think it really did show. Uh, but, uh, but he's, uh, he's a really good player. Uh, you know, I'll say that I, 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 you know, I think what we know is he's not a bust. Mm -hmm. He's an NBA player. Uh, you can see that what level of NBA player we don't know yet. We can't know yet. Uh, but, but he's not, uh, he's not Stauskas or, or Jimmer or, 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 you know, the four busts in a row, you know, that the Kings had, he's not any of those guys. He's going to be a player. Uh, will he be the best player in that draft? Uh, not likely. Will he be the best player that's taken? There will be somebody better than him taken after him. Very likely. That's the history of the draft, but, but, a. a you know, I think the encouraging thing, he is a player. He's not a bust, uh, not a mistake. Uh, if you use him right, you can, he can help you get better. Tony, uh, Jerry's talking about the defense there. Was there anything on the offensive end that, that surprised you about him? Only because we knew coming in, you know, he has the nickname off night. You know, he's going to be somebody who can, who can lock you down a little bit. But uh, was there anything that surprised you on the other end of the court or something that you noticed um, on his offensive end that, that, that got, you, got you thinking? Yeah, I know a lot of people coming into the draft had some questions about Davion Mitchell's jump shot because he had only shot uh, really well from three in his last year. And the, the seasons prior, he wasn't a prolific three-point shooter. Summer league is summer league. I don't want to put too much stock into his three-point shooting numbers, but he shot 47% from three on three attempts per game. So at the very least, he passed the very first preliminary test. I would say on the negative, though, he, he shot actually worse from the field than he did from three. I think something like 42% from the field, and that's including his 47% three-point shooting. So I thought he struggled uh, specifically at the rim, and he did look small out there at times. You saw him get blocked real bad at the rim a few times. Um, so there's some adjustments that he's going to have to make. I think uh, something that's going to be important for him is that when he gets to the rim, maybe look to pass a little bit more than he looks to finish, at least till he can figure out the NBA size. Cause there was a, a lot of defenses collapsing on him when he would, he would make moves to the paint, but he's very quick and, and guys can't stay ahead of him. So if he can um, maybe just adjust what his priorities are when he's going to the rim from finishing to passing uh, he might be able to, to increase some efficiency there. But um, as an offensive player, he was so good on defense that, and maybe I'm talking crazy, but I was, I was talking uh, about this with someone else that if he's just like a, a Marcus smart type defensive player, which it appears like he could be what he gives you on offense is almost a bonus. Like he's, he's going to make his pick valuable. If he is that 30 minutes per night stopper on the perimeter that the Kings have needed for 15 years. So whatever questions I have about his offense coming out of summer league, his defense was so good that I don't even care to worry about that at this point. 
Jerry, I'm curious about something here, only because Tony started to touch on it a little bit there, was his shooting being as good as it is, his free throw shooting is is pretty pedestrian, if not bad. And I'm curious, as, as a former coach, what's your opinion on why that, why that is and, and, and what some, someone like Davion could do moving forward to kind of right the ship on that. Is it just reps? Is it something mental? Is it something that he needs to, to, you know, redo his form? What is it for Davion that he needs to, to get his shooting percentage from, or his field or his free throw percentage up past 70, 75%. Yeah. He's, he's got to find a style that, that, certainly he's comfortable with and, and uh, I mean, and, and productive at the same time. I mean, in my sense, he, his, his shooting stroke is a little bit unique and he gets a lot of his guide hand into the ball, you know, and not that it's a two hand shot, but he gets a, a little more of it than normal. And I, and, and I noticed that's the same way at the free throw line. Well, normally that'd be a good thing. Uh, but, but maybe, you know, you know, maybe they, they can get that guide hand out of the shot a little bit might help. Uh, you know, he seemed, uh, he seemed to be uh, a long, you know, shooting the ball hard, you know, maybe, maybe it's just as simple as getting a, a, a lined up maybe three, four inches behind the line, you know, sure. you're stro- you're, you're, you're missing, you know, most of the time, you know, long or short, but I mean, if it's, it seems to be mostly long, well then uh, move back a little bit, but it is repetition, repetition, repetition and repetition. But uh, (laughs) uh, I mean, I, I don't think, I mean, his stroke isn't so bad that there's, there's no reason he shouldn't become a a much better free throw shooter. And I think it, it may be just the fact that he has throughout his career, he's probably spent most of his time working on, the other parts of the game. I mean, I think that happens, you know, we're, uh, and, and, you know, then the, going back to Tony's point, which I really agree with, I think he's going to have to develop the floater. Uh, you know, he's not at his size. He's not going to be able to get in there and finish at the rim all the time. Uh, you know, the six, seven, six, eight quick athletes can come over and get to that, get to his layups a little bit, but you know, the Trey young kind of thing, you know, yeah. just get in there, the seven, eight foot area, develop that floater, and and you and uh, find shooters as you draw people to you, which I mean, he's willing to do that. He's uh, he's not a finished product as a playmaker by any stretch, but uh, so yeah, he's got things to work on. Uh, but the free throw thing is important. You're right. I mean, that's a he's got to get better at that. Uh, will he ever be a ninety percenter? Probably not. But then nobody thought he'd be a forty percenter from three. Sure. So. You know, his work ethic tells you that there's a, probably a pretty good chance it'll all take care of itself. It, it was just one of the most bizarre things to see on a stat sheet that a guy would average, uh, you know, 47% from, from, from three and then 28% from the line. And it's just like, okay, take him from three then. Like, back up to the you – know, start like pulling a, him from well, there, buddy. It's like Bruce Bowen, you know, for years <laughs> with the Spurs. I mean, he, he was a great three-point shooter and couldn't make free throws. Now, I, I never could understand that. But it's not the first time it's happened. But uh, fortunately, uh, with, you know, with Davion, he's 22. And so, you know, there's the, you know, he's, he's got to get better or he or it'd be tough to have him on the floor closing games. Simple as that. Absolutely. Uh, I wanted to get into a little bit on uh, what you guys' opinions of uh, uh, Tony, you mentioned him a little bit of the MVP of the championship game, Jerry, and what you thought of uh, Lewis King and his performance uh, during summer league this year. I really liked him. Uh, you know, I liked him last year. I, I I thought, you know, to me, I thought last last year even he showed a lot more NBA level player than Woodard. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he he looks like he fits the position he's supposed to fit. You know, he can shoot the three. He can play off the dribble. He's long. He's lively. And in the summer league, he actually tried to guard people. Yeah. Here again, first time I've seen that. And uh, whether it's Bobby Jackson, whether it's Davian, who I don't really care, but, but if he brings, he's capable of doing that. And uh, if I'm the Kings boy, I, I try to give him a long look in preseason. I mean, I sure. keep him and I, I, I trot his butt out there. If you're, if you're not going to make a deal, you know, with, from the, this current roster, I mean, you better find out if this guy could be the answer to something because it, it's not impossible that he could be. Tony, do you see uh, do you see uh, Luke King as somebody who could uh, make some uh, make some hay here in the uh, on the Kings' final roster this season and uh, get some minutes playing small forward for the Kings? 
I do, uh, particularly because they don't really have a lot of options there. And this was um, this is an error on my part. I didn't uh, uh, know much of Liu King before the Kings signed him at the end of last season. But seeing how he performed in the summer league, I kind of went back and, and looked at his um, career to this point. And everywhere he's been, he's been a volume three-point shooter that shot at a very good percentage. And even in summer league, we saw it again. He shot something. Uh, I have the numbers here. He shot 45% on 6.23s and they were not all open ones. I mean, Luke King took some difficult shots and to Jerry's point, he also led the team in 3.2 steals per game, which steals in summer league. It's an ugly game. You know, you can't put too much stock into it, but still to lead a team with Davion Mitchell in steals at 3.2 uh, a game at a position of severe need for the Kings. Um, yeah. I don't think there's um, I don't know. Crazier things have happened than Luke King being in the rotation as of opening night, just because of the position scarcity the Kings have right now. I mean, if he, if he beats out Mo Harkless, uh, would I be shocked? I, I would not. Um, I don't know if Luke Walton would play the young guy over the vet right off the jump, but Luke King has been nothing but good since he, since he joined the Kings. So yeah, he deserves a longer look for sure. Jerry, was there anything else, uh, any other player that stood out to you other than uh, our, our two MVPs of the summer league? I know, I know I kind of wanted to get into Nemias Kita. Um, Emmanuel Terry, some of these guys. Is there anyone that stood out for positive or negative reasons? Well, I was a little disappointed in uh, Met too, Me Too. Uh, I thought he was a little bit too much Me Too, and uh, <laughs> and I, 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 you know, and I, I sort of understand, it, but but he can't. He he really can't afford to be, uh, you know, on this team. He's got to he's got to find a lane, a, a small lane, and fit in there. I think, and and so I, I was wasn't impressed with his play, uh, Terry and, uh, uh, Nimias, I guess is how you pronounce his first name. Uh, I, I they're intriguing, you know, uh, uh, you know, I mean, certainly, you know, at seven, one, the guy tries to play, shows you a little bit of, a uh, little bit of potential. It's, and it's more than, you know, and that's what it is now, but, uh, I, I think that was a good pick and I, I hope that they, uh, hang with him a while. Uh, is he going to help you next year? I, I can't imagine it. Uh, I can't imagine uh, Perry, uh, Terry. I can't imagine him helping you next year either. But there, there's something there, you know, just the effort, and athleticism. But uh, so those uh, Coleman, uh, I like Coleman a little bit. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, if Ramsey and and Davian hadn't been so good, I think you'd have. We'd all liked him better. You know, I mean, I, I thought, you know, he's one of those guys that seemed like played pretty darn well every time he got to play. And uh, so, so there's that. Uh, Woodard, I just don't think he's a player. I didn't think he was last year. I still don't. I'm sorry. I wish he was, but I don't see it. Tony, was there anybody that stood out to you or anything that uh, Jerry said that jogged your memory there? Yeah, I thought it was um, pretty telling and also disappointing, not only how poor, how poorly I thought Robert Woodard played, but how uh, limited his role was for a guy on a guaranteed contract in a summer league team. I mean, he came off the bench uh, versus Luke King, who only is on a two-way, and, and Woodard is on a guaranteed. And then he played, I'm looking at the numbers now, he played less minutes than Terry, than Aide Murky, who I thought played well, than Metu, than Mitchell, than King, than Jemias Ramsey. Um, Keita, even Jordan, he barely played more than Jordan Shackle. So for the Kings not to give Woodard an extended look, even in the summer league, and I don't blame them because he didn't play well, but that, um, that might tell you something about where his, uh, his spot on the team is going to be heading into preseason. So, um, yeah, Woodard really needed to show more than he did. And that was sort of my other, uh, last big takeaway from summer league is that he, you know, not that you, not that you write him off, but he didn't show you what some of those other guys showed you where you need a need to give him a roster spot, not an extended look. Woodard just didn't bring that. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, one thing we've talked about before, in fact, is I was, I think on Jason Ross, uh, or maybe it was with <laughs> Deuce and Morgan doing a little bit of a show. And mm -hmm. we were talking about that. And I said, the thing about, you know, we always want to talk about player development. And I think a real key is sometimes deciding which players are developable, mm -hmm. you know, and hey, spending, spending time, and development skills on guys who you are sure, or, you know, you never can be hundred percent, but sure are actually going to be NBA players and, and uh, moving on the, from those who, because everybody, uh, you know, if everybody could be developed uh, to, to the 10th degree, then you'd have about a thousand Michael Jordans every couple of years. And I haven't noticed that. So, uh, you know, 
and and that's I guess uh, where I kind of am on Wood Woodard. I, I just don't know where you go there. I don't I don't know. Uh, I just don't see an NBA player. Uh, you know, in, anywhere near the future. That doesn't mean it can't happen, but he he's going to have to probably find a way to resurrect himself via uh, Europe or, or this these things, China, wherever, uh, just to get to play and and develop some actually shooting, handling skills, actual, you know, skills that for a six, seven guy needs to have. Mm-hmm. Jerry, I'm curious about that, um, about you mentioning when, well, you know, when do you cut ties as a former general manager? How long does it take for you? Now, I know that there's, there's a lot of talk about, oh, sometimes guys get drafted and they go into their second practice and coaches realize, oh, he wasn't nervous. He just can't play. But for you, how long do you give? You give a year for, for Woodard. He's, he's coming off a decent um, G League bubble season. Um, he, he hasn't shown much. Uh, he, he doesn't seem to be injured in any way. And you're mentioning cutting ties with him. Um, for other guys, is it just a matter of how much of a flash they show in their first season? Or when do you cut a player like that? When do you, when do you decide that they're no longer developable, as, as you so uh, deftly put it? When do you cut those ties? I do think you're what you're looking for is, you know, at some point you got to say now, what, what NBA skills does he have that'll translate to the game that, you know, that, and I don't mean get on the court and get you a couple of baskets here and there, but you know, is there a play, does he have the skills that's going to could help you win ball games, which is ultimately what you're looking for. If you're not looking for that, what's the point? Uh, you know, you, you can have 75 guys on two ways and just develop the crap out of them. Uh, but you know, you, you want to win 12 games a year. Uh, but, but so, yeah, I, I think you're looking at some point, uh, you know, you need to, to make those decisions because there's always somebody else you might want to spend the time with, you know, it's not an either or that kind of thing. You can only have so many people on your roster. And if you've got one that you think, Hey, this, this isn't working and it's not going to work. Well, it's a mistake to keep them. Because you could you could bring in a you know the Lewis King type guy that you say oh this this guy may have something and I think that's you know that that's uh, to for money when they're credit area I mean that's what you need to be doing uh, you know you're if you're going to have the bottom of your roster then you you don't need guys who have no no potential and and I think as far as the quickness of it and and that is the the, the question uh, that varies. You know, I mean, I think I thought the team was was right to give uh, Kyle Guy uh, as much time as they did. Uh, you know, and I think he might still find his way. Yeah. But I, I can understand, say, moving on too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you know, and credit to to them for you know basically Ramsey. It looks like you know, looks like he's a player now. Got a chance to be a player. Well, I certainly didn't think so six months ago. But uh, you know, he, he to his credit and the team's credit, they. They kind of kind of gave any if he hadn't have done it this summer, I think that would have they had probably eyeballed that one a little different too. Uh, but but I think you need to. You know, I always kind of go back, I guess, years ago when I had drafted Travis Mays in the first round, and and he and he and a lot of people thought he had a good rookie year. In my opinion, he didn't. You know, I just thought he was a could get stats and losing efforts. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know. And it wasn't a bad kid or anything, but I mean, he thought he was better than he was, but that's not unusual. That's pretty consistent. Uh, but I, it, you know, I came to the conclusion really after his rookie year that, uh, well, we, he, he wasn't going to be an NBA player of any, any level of helping you. And so, you know, we traded fortunate we're able to trade him for Spud Webb, who was, you know, older, but way better and, and had a nice career for us. And Travis really, you know, was out of the league in a couple of years because everybody that was high on him, like we were when we drafted him, two or three other teams took him and gave up on him because of the same thing. At some point, you you see what you see. And uh, and I think the sooner you do that, I always give Jeff credit, Jeff Petrie credit for moving on from uh, 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 God, <laughs> my brain locked with a guy in Kansas. That's so bad. I uh, like Thomas Robinson. Him. Thomas Robinson. Yeah. 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 <laughs> There's been so many, Jerry. It's I know, okay. Well, yeah. no, I mean, it's like a car wreck, you know, you just don't <laughs> want to remember it. But you know, that was one of those, just yeah. like I think you'd said earlier, Will, that's like first, first time I saw him, you know, was in some summer league practice. Cause we, he didn't come in for a workout or anything. And, 
And, you know, I'll be honest, I just, I remember driving home after work. I said, holy shit, this guy's not very good. Uh, you know, he's not, he's not 6'10", he's about 6'8". Yeah. And so that was got you right away. And then uh, the thing it's, you know, it's, you know, it's pretty clear, you know, early on that, you know, I think to Jeff's credit, I mean, he traded him for Patrick Patterson, who uh, not a top flight player, but was better than Thomas Robinson. And, and still is, yeah. <laughs> and still is. Now, <laughs> you wouldn't, you know, Patterson himself was a lottery pick, probably shouldn't have been either, but but he was a good professional to have. Uh, so, yeah, I think the, I always said, that's what good teams do. Everybody makes mistakes. Every every good franchise, every franchise, good, bad, but the, the good ones uh, move on quicker. You, you know, they're willing to move on quicker. And I think that the thing I'd always felt like just as an assistant coach early in my career here is that it seemed like the team was just almost, you know, dedicated to proving that their mistakes weren't mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that just gets you in a bigger hole. Now you mentioned Kyle Guy and, and the Kings moving on from him. I'm curious, do you feel the same about uh, Justin James? Is he somebody that you're okay with them, you know, moving on from and saying adios to? I am. Although I, 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 I thought he played, you know, given the minutes and all, I think he looked like he could could be an NBA player. Mm -hmm. Probably uh, to his, he'd be better off somewhere else, uh, even if it's uh, overseas playing. He needs to play. Sure. And he's not good enough. He's really not good enough to get a lot of minutes with the guard line the Kings have. And I'm not saying he's good enough to get a lot of minutes with any guard line. But I wouldn't close the book on him at all. You know, you see, to me, you saw every time he got a play, he competed. He came in and didn't look scared to play. Uh, you know, so uh, yeah. I, but I, I, I did. I agree with what they did. You know, sure. I mean, I agree with what they did under the circumstances. Before we move on to uh, to uh, Bobby Jackson and his coaching, I, I wanted to get your opinion on this only because it was kind of the talk of the talk of the uh, Twitter sphere the next day. But uh, Chemezi Metu uh, getting knocked down at the end of a at the end of a game and deciding to. Uh, to turn it into a Mike Tyson boxing match there for a second. I'm curious, Jerry, as a coach or a general manager, you see a guy who went down with a pretty serious injury in the season on a fairly similar play, except this time, instead of being, uh, you know, sprawled out on the ground with nobody to help him up, this time he got himself up and uh, swung a punch at a guy. Um, is that something that you, uh, you say yay or nay to, or you understand and you let it go? Or uh, I'm curious as to your opinion on that. Well, basically I, you know, you, you can't, uh, you know, you can't promote it per se or, oh, sure. or but having said that, <laughs> I, I let it go. I mean, you know, you know, guys uh, need to protect themselves and sometimes they overreact. Uh, you don't want to see it very often. They got to understand that they, they really, you know, you know, that, that's not the way to handle it. But, but uh, you know, I also think it's uh, one of those things that the, that's almost important for players at some point for every, for the league to understand who you are. I'll always remember like Corliss Williamson's rookie year when, uh, 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 gosh, uh, the, uh, the tough guy from Syracuse here. I can't talk about getting senile. I was rookie <laughs> of the year. Uh, uh, geez. Uh, but anyway, he's a rookie of the year. First pick in the draft. Uh, from Syracuse anyway they got into it and, and Corliss I mean he landed a couple of good ones and I mean and this guy was a uh, god why can't I remember his name I can see him uh, yeah definitely seen senility is coming Kings fans uh, <laughs> but the guy but I mean the point was I mean Corliss basically showed the league you screw with me I'm gonna tattoo your face yeah you know I am uh, they don't call me big nasty for for nothing Jerry, and on, on the court, Derek he Coleman. was Derek Coleman. Oh, Derek <laughs> Coleman. Derek <laughs> Coleman. Yeah, you know, I mean, Coleman's six ten, probably three inches taller, twenty pounds heavier. But I mean, you know, he he understood quickly. This big nasty got his nickname for a reason, <laughs> and 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 so did the league, and so did the league. I mean, you know, I mean, Corliss was a truly a no nonsense. You better watch yourself, partner. And, sure. and uh, on the court and off the court, he was a true sportsman and gentleman, sure. you know, just the way, you know, I've always said, that's what you want. I mean, Mike Daniel Smith for years was like that. I mean, just 
fearless. And uh, but anyway, yeah, to, to answer your question, yeah, if, if your teammates are going to protect you, and why should you count on them protecting you? Sure. You need to protect yourself. That 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 goes for seventh grade kids in junior high too. By the way, it, it seemed to me it was one of those things that uh, outside of the uh, Kings fans, there was a little bit of pearl clutching going on about. Well, it's just summer league, you know. Do they really need to be? You know, he's so little too amped up for summer league. And then everyone in Sacramento went, "Hell yeah!" Should have hit him again, only because we understood the context of, you know, Chimezi having you know in the midst of a decent season last year, getting knocked down by. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas uh, and losing a good deal of developmental time to to a to a broken bone and so uh, I, I didn't have any problem with it necessarily I, I, if I were coaching him I would have probably said hey you know you might have yeah, cost you guys, us a might yeah, have cost you us don't a really want to do that. yeah it's going to cost yourself some money and time yeah. and which it did and and all and so you need to be aware of that but sure. uh, but as a but fan the, it's like but get him but, again. The, but then you're walking around thinking, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You should have, you should have, you should have left with the jab first, and then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tony, I'm gonna, I'm gonna swing to you now. Uh, what did you think of Bobby Jackson? Just from a fan's perspective, uh, there's there's calls already for Bobby Jackson to be named head coach of the Sacramento Kings. You know, we're, there's a there's a lot of talk about Bobby Jackson coming out of uh, summer league, and I'm curious as to what you felt uh, he did right or what you saw out of that. Bobby Jackson was was awesome, and I not even not just his coaching, but I thought his post game stuff was good. I thought the way he handled the media was good. I thought after they won the championship, you could see how much the players enjoyed playing with him with the uh, the, the post summer league champagne shower that they gave him in the locker room, which I thought was was fun. And I'm I'm gonna say something here that um, people aren't gonna like, I bet, uh, and it, it's not an entirely fair point, but when you there were times over Luke Walton's tenure here. And I'm not one of those people that says Bobby Jackson should replace Luke Walton. I'm just making a, a small little minor point here. Luke Walton's um, anytime he was mic'd up or his halftime speeches or his timeout stuff, it was all very uh, dry and maybe that's fine. And I, the only reason I even mention it is because you contrast that with Bobby Jackson's halftime stuff or timeout stuff or post-game stuff that you saw mic'd up on the NBA Twitter accounts or on the broadcast or whatever. And the way he was talking to players reminded me a lot more of someone like, like, uh, I don't know, who's one of the NBA's preeminent, like motivational speaker types as a coach, maybe like a Doc Rivers type or something where he's like getting after guys, but telling them, you know, they're just, just allowed an energy about him that I think sometimes Luke Walton, and I'll even say Dave Yeager, just to make it not all on Luke Walton, lacked sometimes is that that energy as a head coach and Bobby Jackson clearly has that I don't know how much you can um, take away from a summer league coaching record or a summer league championship and I don't know how Bobby Jackson's going to be after this but I just thought his energy as a summer league coach as a coach in general seemed like a kind of guy that anybody would want to play for um, and you could tell that just from one halftime one timeout mic'd up uh, so you got to love that from Bobby Jackson and, and it couldn't have happened to a more um, prolific, I guess, Sacramento figure. We needed one of those guys from the O2 teams to do something well in the NBA. And Bobby Jackson did that for us at Summer League. Jerry, I'm curious, is uh, Bobby Jackson the new Monty Williams? Are we in the midst of greatness coming up here? <laughs> Might be. I would uh, pump the brakes just a tad. We're yeah. uh, coming into a sharp corner here, so let's pump them a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, I think Bobby deserves all the credit he's getting. I, I think the team, I really believe that in basketball, more than probably most sports, uh, the personality of the coach has a real impact. You know, uh, a little, a little bit of fire is not bad. Uh, I don't care if your name is, is a uh, red Auerbach or Pat Riley or Greg Popovich, <laughs> you know, I mean, a little bit of, you, you see or Tom Thibodeau is a great example. Uh, you know, I, I think that, I think, uh, it carries over a little bit. And I, and I think in summer league, I think uh, Bobby's team reflected Bobby. Now he, to his, uh, he was fortunate to have a, a, a player on the floor who, who was going to be like that probably anyway, uh, you know, yeah. but, but I, I do, I, I, I think he deserves a lot of credit. I think he uh, honestly will find out as time goes, but, but I think to, to Bobby's credit, uh, he, he's done nothing to indicate that he couldn't be a good head coach at the highest level. Uh, but he's, but I also think it wouldn't hurt a lot more training 
you know, I mean, legitimate training is not a bad thing. I, th- I think for me, the biggest thing is, is it, it quelled my fears a little bit. I had a little bit of anxiety with Bobby Jackson as the G league head coach only because it seems like the Sacramento Kings tend to give uh, players of renown from the past uh, a bit of leeway. We've had Vladi, we've had Peja, we've had everybody, but Chucky Brown and Gerald Wallace get a chance at some point in, in the organization for the Kings. I mean, Chris, Chris Weber is going to, is going to replace Doug Christie at some point, I assume in the booth. And it's one of those things for me, I always get this fear of, you know, of historic nepotism in terms of who's getting these chances. And at least this time around, uh, to, to Tony's point, seeing him in the huddles, uh, hearing him, you know, interact with those players, and then the Kings obviously winning a, a, a summer league championship. It was one of those things I went, okay, so I think he probably deserves this chance then. It's, you know, we're not throwing, I mean, he's been an assistant coach for forever. And so it's not like he, and he's stuck around with a couple of different staffs now. But for me, it was a, it was a big deal that, that Bobby Jackson show his own worth in his first chance as a, as a head coach in this level. And I think he passed with flying colors and I'm now quietly excited for this G league team a little bit. He was a, for me, an unconventional choice or somebody who I went, um, I wish we'd, uh, you know, snagged somebody from Toronto or gotten a guy who was a pretty well-renowned, you know, assistant somewhere as the head coach of the G league. And now I kind of go, all right, yeah, he's, he's earned my trust a little bit. Let's see what he can do for a few seasons there in the G league. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the other thing there I would say on that is I'm not sure Bobby was was put on the G League head coach for the right reasons. Uh, you know, I think it was a convenience kind of thing. Uh, and that that doesn't take anything from Bobby. You know, he like no. say coaches don't hire themselves or fire themselves or put themselves in other positions. I don't think that was his choice. But I, I think it, it, it's it, to me, it's one of those that is probably going to be a good choice maybe for the wrong reasons. <laughs> and uh, of course, I think uh, Christie, you know, on the, on the staff will be a good, a good choice, uh, you know, with the, the big team and maybe not for the right reasons either. Uh, but, but I think he, he's going to do fine if, if he's allowed to, uh, to help out as much as I think he can. So some, sometimes it's, you know, the politics of it's the politics of it. And sometimes it works against you and sometimes it works for you. I, I will say on your thoughts of uh, Chris Weber in the booth, unless he's getting part ownership or something else, I, I'd, I'd be surprised <laughs> on that. But, uh, you know, I, hey, what do I know? I know he, he, he's looking for a job, but I don't think he's looking. <laughs> I doubt that's the one he's looking for just if that's all there is. Well, we can give it to Lawrence Funderburg if you want. I don't mind. I don't, I don't yeah, mind. Gerald Wallace Fundy. comes back. He's got a sultry voice. Yeah. But. Yeah. Fundy would be good. Yeah. Fundy. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it, it seems, it seems like you just throw a dartboard at, at somebody on a, on one of these, one of the best, uh, best teams in Sacramento history. And it's like, that guy's going to be our uh, player personnel develop. You know, he, that guy's going to end up being our general manager. And let's it's get like, Brad Miller back in the mix. Somewhere. Let's get Brad Miller. Yeah. Let's go ahead, Brad. Come on in. <laughs> Brad's a heck of a player. We're on TV. He left a little bit to be desired. I think <laughs> <laughs> he, had, he had other thoughts in his head. He had hunting on. His yeah. Mind. Yeah. So, well, let's, uh, let's get to the, the other uh, big stuff, I guess, in the last couple of weeks has been the, uh, the, the regular season schedule has been announced. Well, the preseason schedule has as well. And uh, I wanted to get your guys' opinions. Jerry, I don't know if you've seen any of this. But, I have. Uh, but the Kings, uh, the Kings have a start to their season. That isn't exactly the, uh, the easiest schedule in the world. And part of that is because the Kings probably aren't very good just yet. But they, uh, they run off uh, games. Uh, in, in their first 11 games, they've got Portland. They've got Utah twice, Golden State, Phoenix twice. New Orleans twice, uh, the Dallas Mavericks, the Charlotte Hornets, Indiana, Indiana Pacers. I'm curious if there's anything. We'll, we'll we'll start we'll start with you, Tony, only because you wrote the article on the Kings Herald about this, and I'm curious of your opinions on it. And Jerry, we'll swing it over to you. Okay. Um, is there is there anything, guys, that you uh, you see from this schedule that uh, that stood out to you, or anything you want to comment on? Well, I guess my thought here with regards to the schedule, and because it is so, I guess, front heavy in its difficulty. Um, I started to get worried about uh, the season as a whole. And as we keep pushing back the, the, the line for when Monty McNair has to finally rebalance this roster into a more cohesive unit. I know, you know, now that a lot of the, a chunk of the off season has come to pass. Now we got people looking at the deadline. Oh, well, he'll fix it by the deadline. 
And my, my, I guess my immediate concern there with the schedule releases, you gotta, I mean, if, if you're pushing off the dates for when you're going to fix this roster completely uh, and you stumble out of the gate, there might not be a playoff run to salvage by the deadline. So I guess that would be my, I, you know, I don't, I don't care about the schedule too much. It is what it is, but if you have to look at it and, and take something away from it, um, I, the Kings can't, you know, depending on how serious they are about being a playoff team. And we think they're very serious about it. Their off season has, in, has indicated as such. And Monty McNair's words has indicated that um, they, they got work to do. We've talked about this roster all summer. It doesn't seem complete. And if they're going to wait until the deadline, and I'm not saying they are, but if that is sort of the plan, um, I, I'm just hopeful they can tread water long enough through that difficult schedule uh, for Monty McNair to put his team together by the deadline, if that's what it takes, because the schedule is tough. And if you're not, if you're not where you're supposed to be roster wise, uh, you might be out of the playoff run quicker than you, quicker than you think. Jerry, what was there anything that you saw from the schedule that you, uh, that you took to heart? Yeah. Uh, it seemed like, again, I, and I always want to check to be sure, but it seemed like every team in the league had 41 games at home, 41 on the road, with the exception of the Lakers and Clippers, they get 43. Uh, so that hasn't changed. And, and as Tony said, you know, and as Kings fans, we always look at it from one look at the, you know, it does start off tough. Now, I, I would almost take the stance that might be good mm -hmm. because I don't think this is a playoff team. And maybe whatever your weaknesses are, they'll be exposed rapidly. And that might be good. That's a good point. You know, it'll force, you know, it, it will force you to, to make the adjustments that you think can make this team better. And then, you, you know, as a team, as the schedule does get a little bit easier and then who knows for sure how, which teams, there'll be some teams underachieve and overachieve that we don't know right now that, uh, that maybe you're in a better position to actually make a run by, by being maybe exposed early. I, I don't know. So I, I wouldn't say that's a, I don't worry about it much. I, I guess that's never have. I know I used to get into it with Grant all the time because he he's like an old woman. You know, he'd be worried. Oh, it's not fair. I was like, you know, really, 41 at home, 41 on the road. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. And and I said, the thing I've learned over the years, and, and I'm not a quick learner, uh, but uh, the best teams always seem to win the most, you know, just invariably. And and an 82 game schedule will prove will prove that uh, you know it's just uh, that's the way it works and and so so anyway now nah, I'm not schedules the schedule don't think uh, you know it, it's it's tough at places it's weaker in places you can take advantage of which Kings last year did not do at times when they had great opportunities and and I think the NBA what I would say about the schedule itself is important. But I think more importantly than ever, uh, injuries and health mm -hmm. is going to be more of a factor in, in, in what teams do, which teams can stay the healthiest with, you know, regular sports injuries. And then, of course, the COVID crap is going to be with us, I think, for my lifetime. So, uh, so you know, we'll see that that will, will play every bit as important as the schedule. Absolutely. Jerry, I'm curious. I know you mentioned that uh, that this um, tough early schedule might expose some weaknesses and, and allow for the changes necessary. I'm sure you meant the coaches looking at the players and their scheme, but I'm wondering too, if the general manager looks at this hard opening schedule, you got a difficult uh, opening 11 or 12 games here. At what point does the general management start seeing that the exposed flaws in the coaching staff and, and how do you, do you see a possibility where I'm, I'm not wishing for this? I'm not hoping for this necessarily, but is, is there a possibility that Luke Walton doesn't come out of the first 11 or 12 games of this season? And if so, what record would he have to have in order to get booted that early? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have a clue on that really. I, I, I do think though, to your question is I think that Monty McNair now in, in his second term, he's, he's looking over his shoulder too. Uh, you know, that's the reality of the NBA uh, is everybody's everybody is is if if the team starts slowly then he you know he, he's a, I think evaluating everybody because he's being evaluated sure. uh, so that's that's a reality uh, there's no like I say anybody that says they got a five-year plan really are just hoping to stay employed that that's what that is Tony do you see any situation where uh, Luke Walton doesn't come out of uh, come out of the early parts of the season 
I don't, I mean, it, it would be a tougher McNair to do that after the endorsement he gave him just a few months prior. I mean, if you go 0 and 11, sure, but Monty, I mean, they're, they're, maybe I'm wrong on this, but to me, they're more tied together than, than maybe they think they are or they want to be at times with the endorsement. I mean, McNair said very plain English that he thinks Walton is going to be the coach to make this a playoff team again. So to, to let him go, 11 games in would be just as much a, a indictment on McNair as it would be Walton to me, because then the, the simple thing is there. Well, Hey McNair, you messed up. You should have made this change in the off season. So I don't know if McNair would do that. I, I think, I think Walton gets a longer leash than that. And, and maybe he should, maybe he shouldn't, but I'd be surprised if he's gone that early. Yeah. And I think just as a, you know, with the idea too, that you're going to have to have an interim coach or something, if you did something like that, and I can't think of a worse time to do it. Uh, you know, I mean, it's one thing maybe at the when you're, there's a break or, uh, you know, and you got a homestand coming up. I mean, those kind of things make it a little better uh, if the play, you know. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm with Tony there. I, I just can't see how Monty could do that. And I don't, you know, and even if it were 11 games, I just I just don't think you, you know, I, give it more time. I mean, you know, we, you know, maybe something you have to do, but. But I, I definitely just get back to my main point is just that it's uh, everybody's going to be evaluated. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the way it should. And that's the way it should be. Coaches and players uh, expectations uh, are realistic here, I think. But uh, uh, underachieving is not an option. Let's put it that way. Sure. And I'm also curious about ownership in this, too. I know Luke Walton survived two nine game losing streaks last year. And in my mind, maybe Monty goes, hey, what's another nine game losing streak if the Kings start off? two and nine or something like that, you know, especially yeah. when developing a team and having a roster as unbalanced as it currently is. And you're waiting for a, another move to happen for somebody. But for me, I wonder how, how patient um, ownership can be in this as well, as we know that there are times where there is some pressure applied there for the, for the management. And if, if uh, Vivek really, really wants to make the playoffs and sees the Kings starting two and 11, or, or, you know, something like that where they don't get off to a hot start. If he, if he pushes on Monty, pull the trigger, you know, we got a, we got a, a lead assistant here that, that uh, can, can do the job has done the job as an interim, interim coach before, you know, get me to the playoffs or if there is enough patience there that they allow Monty to, because it's my, it's always been my opinion that while I think Luke Walton should have been fired, I don't think he would get fired only because of monetary reasons. And, you know, bringing in two staffs and having to pay two staffs, you know, for a team that probably isn't built to be a, a playoff roster at this point. So it, it's, it, it's always a curiosity to me how much the general manager can push on something and then how much the ownership on top of that uh, has patience for, for the vision that the GM puts out himself. Well, that's always, a, that's always a key thing there. And, uh, uh, but, you know, having said all that, I, I do, I'd be surprised if there's, there's not a good bit of patience early on, sure. you know, you know, go, kind of go the extra mile. Now, will that last all year? I, I'd be surprised. I mean, I think, but early on, I, I'd just be surprised if there's any, any kind of thoughts along those lines, regardless of start, unless it's just a, a all time record bad start. Sure. Yeah. Well, Monty, um, I remember this very vividly from last year. I mean, he, he defended Walton when ownership was sort of ready to move on at one point already. And, and one of the reasons Monty gave, this is all reported, so who knows exactly what went down behind the scenes, was that he didn't give Walton um, what he thought was like a, a roster worthy of performing any better than they did. So I think the direct line was that, uh, according to McNair, Walton was doing the exact job that he expected him to do. And I think in this case, if the Kings go into the season, with the same roster they have right now, I think McNair can make the same argument where the pieces he gave Walton don't fit right now. And maybe if the roster was quote unquote perfect or balanced and Walton stumbles out of the gate, Oh, for 11 or whatever, then you, then that's a much uh, more effective conversation, I think. But if Walton stumbles out of the gate with the roster as it is right now, I mean, that thing needs uh, a lot of rebalancing still. So I think Monty McNair could easily fall um, to the same excuse, if you want to call it that, whereas the, the roster he gave Walton 
is sort of a mess right now. And uh, he can use that to excuse some, some level of losing early in the season. That's a fantastic yeah, point. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, yeah. Jay. And you guys, we all know too. I mean, one thing about Monty, I, I don't know how much impact he had in all those really good Houston teams. I mean, I, he was involved, uh, but he knows what good teams look like, you know, mm-hmm. he, I mean, yeah. he has to have a pretty good understanding of what a, a winning roster looks like and a, a playoff type roster, a challenging type roster. So, so I think it's exactly the Tony's point to what we've been talking about. It's like, he, you know, he knows this maybe more so than anyone else uh, that this roster really isn't uh, equipped to win a lot more than it has, maybe some more uh, like any GM would say, well, I think they should have won a couple more, but the reality is yeah. th- that's what you're talking about. This was uh, Tony brought up a point that I was going to lead into anyways. Jerry, do you think this roster as currently constructed as a playoff team? Uh, top eight? No. Uh, is it, you know. Top 10? Could, could be. Could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, could be. I mean, it's, you know, yeah. I mean, when you're, you're talking 10, 11, and 12, and that's what we're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> it, it uh, could have been last year. I mean, the difference was mm-hmm. San Antonio wasn't very good, but they played better than the Kings did when it counted. That's it. <laughs> Tony, do you think this do you think this roster is a playoff roster at this point, Tony? I think the answer has to be uh for top eight, no, unless everything breaks right. And I think the average outcome is 10 or 11. So that I mean, and that's with no rebalancing. There's some I think fairly minor things that McNair could do to raise the ceiling that where they go from maybe a play-in team to should be a play-in team. I think that is not a, a huge bridge to gap there, but uh, I, I would say definitely not a top eight team. And I don't think the Kings think they are either, but they have been delusional in their expectations in the past. So who knows? I, I hope they don't see this as a, a finished product now or a playoff team yet. And I don't expect they do, but I guess we don't know that for sure. Jerry, I'm, I'm curious. Do you see this as the, as the roster heading into uh, heading into preseason this year? I don't want to. <laughs> do i have to uh you don't have okay. to I don't, i'm not going to twist your arm on yeah it. i mean it's a i i think there's things that they need to do or wish they could do and i'm pretty sure they they've tr- i know they've tried so so mm-hmm. so i know that you know it's not a secret i think that there's some things that probably could need to be done if you want to make sure you're better and, and here again i mean we can always just say boy uh lewis king might be the answer and become a uh you know, real player, you know, that sort of thing. But I mean, if I don't want to count on that, you know, I, I just, I just don't want to count on that. I, it's all possible. Uh, and, and the improvement of Halliburton and Fox, I, I kind of believe that, but uh, no, I, in my opinion, I, I would like to see changes to this roster before the season starts, if not before the preseason. So we're, we're now at the point of the season or now, you know, at the point of, uh, of the NBA where uh, news starts to dwindle, uh, action starts to dwindle a little bit. And I'm curious, Jerry, as you see, um, as you see um, the post, or I'm sorry, as, the, as you see the season now approaching and the preseason is now only, you know, 40, 50 days away, what are players doing right now? What are coaches doing right now to get ready for, for the offseason are they taking a break are they are they mentally you know shutting down for a little bit in order to to get ready for the next season and recharge or are they are they deep into the books trying to to reinvent the wheel and trying to get their team to the playoffs i'm curious as to because you've you've been all all those things where where are, are the players and the gms and the coaches right now in their offseason stuff i would say this is if there is such a, a thing as an offseason it, it's now you know, after the summer league for a few weeks and before, uh, I think, you know, after, uh, after, you know, May 1st week of September, you know, everything will get geared up again, certainly player-wise. And I mean, they're not saying the players aren't uh, working out a little bit, but there's a point where they need to get away uh, a little bit. So, so I would say, you know, this is as, as slow a dead time as it is in the NBA, usually mid, mid August, mid, to early September is kind of the dead time. And, and that's why, you know, I, I, trades and things can still happen and they're more likely to happen first week of September, second week of September when uh, guys are back. Now, having said that, are some, are all the coaches, I mean, I'm sure 
Tom Thibodeau's probably still reading every basketball book and looking at every tape of everybody they brought in, you know, but then he's weird, you know, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, I mean, it, his, his strength is his weakness, you know, I've always said that we all, our strengths always become our weaknesses at some point, you know, and that's why as great a coach as he is, it's a, it doesn't last as long as, maybe you know a carlisle or a popovich if they, sure. that they you know sometimes you you know you you find ways to, to make it last longer so anyway tony let's get to our uh, patreon question of the day sure um uh as you know on this podcast every episode we ask one question from our king's herald page uh, patreon or community that's uh patreon.com slash king's herald we ask jerry one question from the the uh group of questions that we have. And then once a month, any questions we don't ask on the main show here, we uh, ask in a Patreon exclusive Q and a, um, this is a fun one that comes from sweep the leg on Twitter. And it's uh, it's Jerry having seen and been around all of these guys in your King's tenure, which one would you take in a three point contest and which one, if different, would you want taking the game tie or game winner from downtown? And you can add to this, Jerry, in King's history, but the list that, that Sweep Delay gave us was Mitch Richmond, Jim Les, Peja, or Buddy Heald. You got one three-point shooter. Who you got? Well, if it's, if it's for the game, mm-hmm. I, I take Danny Ainge. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, take, I take Danny Ainge, big-time clutch guy, proven championship guy, uh, gifted, you know, wasn't with the Kings very long, but uh, marvelous, marvelous player. Uh, way better than some guys that, probably most fans think are better. Uh, but anyway, but yeah, to that list you gave me, uh, probably for the game winner, I, I'll take Mitch. Let's say it's, a, it's an empty gym. You got a hundred basketballs and who do you got sh- uh, making the most threes? No fans, no pressure, empty gym, a shooter. Who's hitting the most threes? Pager. Yeah. P- Pager Stoyakovich. I always remember, and I've told this story and maybe to you guys, I, I was sitting in my office, uh, the old practice facility, which is still great, by the way, and look, watch, just happened to be watching Pager, had the, the little tossback machine, and he was mm-hmm. shooting threes, and I just started watching this, you know, boom, 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 and I started counting along with it, you know, I mean, he didn't know I was watching, he just shooting, 42 in a row, 42 in a row, yeah, and I don't believe there's anybody else could do that, uh, uh, you know, in fact, is he had counted them, too, because at the end, I think Vladi and some and Hado or somebody walked in. He said, "Hey, I hit forty-two in a row or something like that." And they said, "Bullshit! You know, you you did hit forty-two in a row." And, and and then he that that time he noticed I was looking out the window, and I came around. And I said, "Yes, yes, he did. Yes, he did." So so I yeah I I think you know he was a I mean he's an artist. You know, I always called him a shootist. You know I mean it uh, certainly the greatest shooter in King's history, pure shooter. Is there someone outside now that I'm curious? Is there someone outside of the Kings that same same stipulation like empty gym? You got a hundred basketballs. Who's who's shooting the best from three, or is Page number one regardless of? Oh, well, I still take Larry Bird because okay because yeah. like he said once he said people talk about my quickness and he said but when you're the best shooter in the entire world it makes you quicker <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and he was. Mm-hmm. yeah at a time you know and he was so at that time and so it was like the old pat riley's statement he said uh he said if he had to have a guy t- t- could pick any guy to take the shot to win a game it'd be michael jordan if he had to pick a guy to save his life it'd be larry bird <laughs> <laughs> so i think that i think that pretty well sums it up right there yep. jerry let's let's get to the uh the reynolds wrap-up what do you have for us today well, I, I just thought, you know, I really did enjoy watching the summer league, uh, a lot of it. And of course, because of the rookies, you know, I, I just, I made a point to watch Cade Cunningham and Jalen Green and, and Kaminga and Moody and our, of course, our guy, uh, 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 Tony's guy, Sinjin, uh, you know, and I, it looks like it's going to be a, a really good class. It really does. Now, are there going to be difference makers? I think there's two guys that strike me. Is having the best chances of being, I, I say, needle movers. And to me, that's the Suggs and Cade Cunningham. Now, I mean, Green might outscore them all, but I, I don't know that he's going to make his teammates better. And, and you know, that, that's just maybe an old-fashioned way of looking at it. I, I, I think those guys, 
you know, look like uh, to me, just kind of a little bit special. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, you, you, to me, there's, there's no reason why a bunch of these guys can't be really good. And then you can see some reasons why they may just, just be potential a year from now, a few of them, you know, so it's what it is. I mean, it, but it was, it, it is interesting. I mean, like I say, I, I think, I, I think Suggs and Cade, the, I mean, they, they're basketball players, you know, you can plug them in probably just about anywhere and they'll find a way to be pretty darn good. Uh, whether, whether they're all-stars, Hall of Famers, long way to go for that. Uh, and then, you know, some of the guys that, you know, that don't look as good today, you know, maybe. And uh, so we'll see. But it's an interesting group. I'm not quite ready to commit that this is the greatest draft since 84 or 2001, you know, whatever. 96. <laughs> yeah, it looks, like, it looks like some potentially really good players that two or three probably got good all-star chances and, and a lot of teams will get help. That's what you see so far. Next year at this time, we'll have a better idea. Well, for everyone here at the uh, the King's Herald, I want to thank you for listening to another episode of the show. Uh, if you if you find it in your heart to uh, like, rate, and subscribe for us, we'd really, really appreciate it. It helps us out a lot. Um, but uh, if not, then uh, we'll see you in two weeks, and uh, I'm sure we'll have something to talk about. So for, uh, for everyone here, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. In the King's Herald Barbershop.